without fail. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, it's like you guys have way too much turkey. I get it. I did it myself. The room's a little low. Energy's struggling. All right, I'm going to try and bring it. You guys try and get engaged here because we're going into one of the best seasons of the Christmas year and the Christian year. And as we look forward to Easter coming up uh, next year as well, th- this, is like, this is like the Super Bowl of Super Bowls, right? In this time span when we think about the kind of hope that we ultimately have, which is important. As you go into Christmas... Some people, many people, most people, extremely hopeful, excited, looking forward to it, right? A little bit of time off of work, a little bit of change in the routine, maybe the, you know, the, the idea that they're going to receive gifts, be able to give gifts, spending some time with family, all that type of stuff, right, brings a lot of joy. But there are some people who don't have that kind of hope. Maybe they're going to have to work doubles and they know it. Maybe they don't have the family to celebrate with. Maybe they're still grieving the loss of loved ones in their family as well. And so there's this struggle there. So two things. For those who are very hopeful and excited, I hope your hope is in the right place. Right? Because the lights fade. The twinkling lights come down. And then we got to go back to work again in January. You know what I'm saying? And, and sometimes we forget about that. And, and maybe if you hope is a little misplaced, my, 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 my desire is for us to, to recognize that, to see that. If you don't have hope and you're a little bit down, you're a little bit depressed, a little bit struggling as a result of that, then my prayer is that you would see something in the advent of Jesus Christ that it reminds you, it encourages you, and inspires you uh, to rethink about your position, to rethink about your circumstances as well. Here's the reality. Here's what it boils down to. In many ways, we are living between two worlds. That's what we believe as Christians. That's the kind of faith and hope that we have as Christians. The first advent, Jesus coming, is what we celebrate at Christmas time. And then it gives us the encouragement and the hope that the second advent, Jesus' return, is, is promised. And we're hopeful that that's going to take place because the first one did as well. And so in a sense, we're living between two worlds. And the reality of it is, is living between these two worlds is not always exactly what we wanted to be. It's not always exactly f- filled with rainbows and unicorns and a lot of hope, right? And we struggle through that and we work through that. But these advents of God, the first advent and the second advent we look forward to, they give us an encouragement of hope. And the Advent season is an encouragement. It's a real hope, one that twinkling lights cannot produce and one that the fading lights of this world cannot take away no matter how hard it tries. So I want us to read together Isaiah 65, which is an Old Testament verse of a prophetic time for the people of, of Jerusalem at that time, but also it's foreshadowing the time for us ahead when Jesus does return. It is filled with lots of hope. Let's take a look at that together this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, Isaiah 65. Use the Bibles on the racks in front of you and, and be Feel free to take that Bible home if you don't own one as well. And so let's take a look at Isaiah 65. We're going to read the latter half of the chapter, verses 17 through 25. And I'm going to read it slow. I I want the the text, it's a lot of text and a little bit of a hard read actually. I want it to just speak for itself. And, And that's what we're going to look at as soon as we get done reading it. Just let the text speak for itself. I want you to hear the kind of hope that is infused in this statement from God, from his prophet Isaiah. This is what we read. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. 
but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child and the one who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf And the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is God's word. Uh, As I said, I just want this to speak for itself a little bit. And my prayer is simply this. If your hope is misplaced, just if you have hope, but it's in some things of the world, it's in certain seasons and times, my my prayer is that maybe that's disrupted for you a little bit so that you can put your hope in God uh, that never fails, that's never empty, that's always full. If you're struggling to have hope my, and you're a Christian, my, my, my prayer is that as a result of remembering the first advent and the second advent and living between two worlds, that God is promising and preparing things for you uh, that gives you encouragement and hope. And my prayer is if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, that the gospel would reach your heart and that you would consider uh, the reality of Jesus coming to this earth is... is uh, impacted the timeline in ways that nothing else can and it gives us encouragement to see our eternal future as well so so let me do this two things all right the reason to hope and then the reason for hope all right the reason to hope I just want this passage to speak for itself let me pull out a few things that we saw here so that we can be encouraged by it all right number one a new creation all right, verses, uh, verse 1 and, and on there, just, it's a new creation. We're told that we can have hope because a new heaven and a new earth is being created. And we are specifically told that it is so good, you're not even going to remember what you once had. I don't know about you, but there's times when that happens, right, that I'm like, I'm sitting there and something's so good, I'm thinking, I can't even remember what it was like before. And that's what God is saying to us here, that, you know, it's going to be hard to envision and imagine all the things that we know it now because in eternity it's going to be so good that it's going to just basically give us new memories and a new way to approach that. Number two, a new people. The people are a joy, and God says they are my people. I don't know about you. But there isn't a day that I can get in my truck and drive out and and just go be around people and say, oh, look at them. Aren't they just a joy, right? It's just wonderful. I love the day after Thanksgiving and trying to drive home. It's amazing. You know what I'm saying? But that applies to me too. I know all of y'all think that I'm just a joy. You know what I'm saying? Like 24-7. This is what my wife says too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Terry, that was awesome. Nice loud laugh there. Um, 
But in the reality of it is, is as we are being transformed right now, as we submit ourselves to the voice of God, the will of God, the beautiful thing is in the second advent, we are completely, finally, perfectly, totally transformed. So everything about us that's not a joy is gone. And that we get to be in that presence of people who just desire God and desire one another and we're excited. What, what a beautiful picture that we get. Number three, a new lifespan. Infants don't die and old age is redefined. You know, this means that the idea of a mourning and death and suffering is just completely gone, and the fear that comes with that as well. We have a solid example and reason why we should believe in that and why we can believe in that. Listen, all of us are here, most of us, I would say, that we're here, unless you're searching, you're just here because you got drug here or whatever, you know what I'm saying? We're here because we believe Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, firstborn from the dead. He didn't do it just as a perfunctory thing to basically provide salvation for people. It was done as well to demonstrate to us the power that God has that our lives, our souls are created to live forever with God. That's the plan. That's God's desire. And he demonstrated that for us. And so when he talks about here that you know, infants don't die, old age is redefined, the point is, is that we're in a place where there's no death, there's no suffering, it's only peace. Number four, it's a new environment. Verse 22 talks about how it is essentially like a return to the garden where we are engaged we are working. We have various skills and talents just like we do here. But the difference is, the dramatic difference is we never tire. And the job never becomes boring or frustrating. And we always, at the end of it, get to see the fruit of our labor and get to enjoy it. I don't know about you, but when I do something that I really love to do and I get done with it and actually work like it was supposed to work, right? And, and you've built something, you've created something, you've done something. Man, isn't that such a joy? That's what every day is like in the place that God is preparing for us as talked about here. It's a totally different environment. Number five, we've got a new relationship with God. One that says that God answers before we even call. We're in mid-conversation with God and already whatever it is that we need or we're talking about, it's done. It's taken care of. The point is our relationship with God is completely changed. Uh, the, there is no need for the mediation of Jesus between God and us. We're there with him like we like they were in the garden. And we have this relationship to where we communicate in such a way that he is constantly listening and engaged in what's going on in our lives. Number six, it's a completely new social interaction. Just like a new environment, it's totally new social interaction, which is given an exclamation point with this idea that the, the lamb and the wolf lay together. And the lion eats straw like the ox. The point is the entire social environment, there's no strife. There's no anger, there's no tension, there's no frustration. It's kind of like what happens when you turn the news off, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, which is probably what some of us need to do. A lot of times when we get to see this broadness of our world and the constant tension, whether it's real, perceived, or manufactured for, for you know, ratings or whatever it may be, it just this is the world that we live in. We are between two worlds and the world that is coming ahead. It's a place where there is no tension. It's a place where there is no strife. 
and it's a beautiful place. And a confident faith built on the powerful testimony of God. Not just built on hopes and wishes and rainbows and unicorns, but built on the testimony of God, built on the gospel, built on the fact that not just the Bible talks about Jesus being the Son of God, but history declares that Jesus said he was the Son of God. And he didn't just say it, he demonstrated it in his powerful resurrection. And when our hope and our faith is placed on that, it gives us a solid hope. It gives us an encouraging hope and a reason to move forward each and every day. Now, how can uh, we be moved in such a way to do things that are far more than we can imagine? One word, hope. Hope gets us to do things that you never could imagine you were able to do. Uh, Like the story of John Robert Fox, it stands out. He was an artillery artillery officer in World War II. He was in the 92nd Infantry. It was a segregated infantry of African-American soldiers that were known throughout the war for distinction in in their work and their bravery. He found himself in a village in Tuscany surrounded by Nazi Germans. And uh, his unit was going to be overrun, he knew it. Uh, other soldiers were going to be overrun, he knew it. And he knew the only way to give his, his unit and other soldiers the opportunity for retreat, to regroup, to la- launch a counteroffensive, was to call in an artillery strike on his position. And that's exactly what he did. He found a place where he could hide in a second-story building where he was surrounded by people. He calls in this artillery strike, and the person, the gunner, recognizes the position. He says, that's your position. Fox is known for these famous last words, "Uh, fire it, there's more of them than there are of us. And his hope was that it would give his unit and other forces the opportunity to launch that counteroffensive, and it worked exactly like he'd hoped. Um, but that hope moved him to do something radical, moved him to do something that is just the ultimate sacrifice as well. When the forces returned, when his unit returned, and, and it worked as he had hoped and planned, uh, they did find Fox's body had perished. And they, they said that there were hundreds of Nazi German uh, soldiers around him as well in the rubble. Sometimes the results of hope can move us to do things that uh, are remembered, are inspirational for many, many years to come. And here's the reality, though. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be an amazing, memorable story, right? Sometimes hope does the simplest thing. You know what it does? Sometimes it gets us out of the bed in the morning. And that's where all inspirational stories begin. Sometimes it gets us to readjust our focus through the holiday seasons, uh, to see the joy in people rather than see uh, the bad stuff in the people that we're working around or dealing with or whatever it may be. It can do the simplest things as well as the biggest things. And we can't talk about the reasons to hope without talking about the reason for hope. This is not the exciting one. It's real. It's important. It's the gritty one. It's the one we've all got to work through. It's the one where if you have one perspective versus the other, you're probably going to be wrong either way because there's a balance that comes in that brings to us the reason for hope. Let me explain. A God of all love doesn't work. All loving, all fuzzy, all good, all the time, just does whatever you want. It doesn't work. In the same way, a God of all wrath doesn't work. Neither one of them work. Both of them are a problem. I don't know about you, but when it comes to the idea of a God who is all loving or God who is all wrathful, uh, both of them present a, prom- a problem. And, and my issue is, as I think about uh, 
dealing with some evil force on me. I want to know that God's love and wrath are perfectly balanced in such a way that he brings the exact measure that is needed to protect me, to secure me, to encourage me, to lead me through. Lead me not into temptation, right? It's part of the prayer that Jesus tells us that we should be praying about. And hope is only made possible through the cross because it's on the cross that you find the one who is judged and the one who becomes the judge. Which is difficult sometimes for us to get our minds wrapped around and to recognize. But here's what I'm saying. Without a God of loving fury and furious love, you don't have hope. It's this difficult balance and it's something that we wrestle with because sometimes people just want a God who is all loving. Uh, some, nobody ever wants a God who's all wrathful, but sometimes we live like that and we think like that and we project that persona onto God and we live our lives in fear like that and that's never good. It's not what God would desire. And, and so let me try and convince you a little bit if you struggle with one or the other here. Uh, the idea of a God who's all loving, some people that's what they want. He loves everybody, he's going to care for everybody, he's going to take care of everybody, no matter how bad they are, they're going to be changed, transformed, so on and so forth. The reality of it, it just doesn't work. Uh, when God speaks to us through his word, through his voice, and, and it contradicts your life, what you're doing, how you're living, do you want at that moment for somehow God to change, to meet up with who you are, what you want, how you want to live? If, if God's word does not con contradict your life, if God doesn't say no to you, if God doesn't draw a line in the sand and say you can't pass that line, then what you end up with really is just yourself, your own desires, a God of your own choosing, a fairy tale, right? Let me, let me just flip it for a second. Any of you in here that are parents, how's that working out if you raise your kids like that? You're never allowed to contradict your kid. You're never allowed to say no. You're never allowed to draw a line in the sand. They pretty much just tell you what's up, what's going on, so on and so forth. You know, God isn't just simply all loving, like that's all he is and that's all he can be summed up to be. He's radical in the sense that he can be both all loving and all wrathful at the same time. And that's how we ultimately receive hope because after all, Jesus was on a cross to ultimately satisfy all of that. Think about what Philippians says. Chapter 2 says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of God. The word being the voice of God that contradicts our lives, that requires us to submit to him, or subject us to the wrath of God. We have a choice in that. We can make a decision. But at the end of the day, God has a line drawn in the sand and, and there is reserved for those who do not desire to submit to him this wrath that we see within the scriptures. Now, I get it, we struggle, you know, but the reality of it is this. Abusive parenting is equally bad as permissive parenting. Uh, there's one extreme versus the other. The permissive parent just says, ah, do whatever you want to do. And that's what kind of God that many people want, but that's not who he is. He's not just simply all loving without this other side of him that we must deal with. Because a God of wrath may put fear of God into people, right? A God of all wrath may put fear of God into people, but the reality of it is uh, when people who feel like they're stuck uh, make promises to God that absolutely never works out, the point being simply this, Fear will not awaken love in you. 
Fear will not awaken love in you. It won't transform people. It may get you to conform for a moment. It may get you to conform in the presence of somebody else. It may get you to do things because you think you got to right then, but it doesn't transform you. It doesn't change you like love does. Fear never produces hope. Hope is possible because Jesus received the punishment. Jesus received the wrath of God that every single one of us in this room deserved. Every single one of us should have been on the cross, but we weren't. Hope is possible because Jesus was. Let's think about what 1 Thessalonians says. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it boils down to. Truth and grace must balance one another out as we see within the scriptures. And so an angry God without love, it'll crush you. It'll end you. Life's not worth living. All right? A loving God without wrath, what does it leave you with? Nothing. It leaves you with your own creation. It leaves you with your own ideas. Nothing of true substance and real hope. And if you have a God who just loves you, never contradicts you, always allows you to be whoever you want to be, then you really have no God at all. You have no hope at all. If you have an angry God with impossible standards, demanding righteousness, your life won't work as hope is unattainable in that kind of an environment. But when you have a God who is both, and he places himself in a position of wrath that you deserve, then you have hope. And that's what we find on the cross. That's what we find in the first advent. And that's why we have reasons to hope in the second advent. Because God has demonstrated his love and his power and his presence and his desire for us. Came across an interesting story. Lori Kennedy and her husband Russ, uh, they had lost their entire home in the Sierra Nevada foothills because of a fire. They got in the call in the middle of the night. They had to get up get out of there as fast as they could when they were allowed to come back in. They said they were driving through and nothing but chimney stacks are left. And so they, you know, very, very, in a very depressed manner, you can imagine, go walking into their home where all of these things that they had collected for years, all of their devotional books, all their pictures, all that stuff, it's just gone, you know. It feels like everything you had has been wiped out. And I'm sure some of you in this room maybe experienced something like that and, and, and know what that's like. So as they dig through the rubble and they're finding various things that they can salvage and so on and so forth, the wind started to pick up. And they thought, well, we need to go ahead and get out of here because of all the ashes, you know, horrible with the wind. On the way out, though, she, she recognized something stuck to the bottom of her foot. It turned out to be a piece of paper from one of her devotions. And it's got to be one of those God-divine appointed moments because when she pulled it off of her shoe to look at it, it was perfectly legible. It says, if life seems difficult, I pause and reflect on the blessings, on the blessings sometimes hidden within every circumstances. With renewed faith and encourage, I begin again. Uh, what an appointed time, what an encouraging time. We can have hope, we can begin again in every circumstance, in every situation, in every season of life. Here's why. We have a God who places himself in a position of wrath so that his love and his wrath can be satisfied and so that we can have a hope that is greater than anything in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. Help us to live it. Help us to go about everyday activities that inspire and demonstrate that we are truly hopeful of what you promised to us, that we are looking forward to what you're preparing for us. And in, in this in-between time, between two advents, Lord, we're able to live in such a way that demonstrates that 
being moved to do things that we never imagined possible in our own lives, uh, seeing things that we never imagined possible out of others in our community, in our church. Help Canoe Creek Christian Church, Lord. We pray that you would give us such great hope that we would transform the face of our community, Lord. Uh, that we can't fix everything, and we know that only your return and only your presence will do that. But in this meantime, Father, we pray and ask that you would help us uh, to live such hopeful lives that demonstrate your presence in a way that people are moved and the individuals are changed and drawn in to your love and your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we enter into our